0: This is Daniel Fagella. You're listening to the AI in Business podcast, and this is not going to be an episode of Holier Than Thou. Many times the topic of AI ethics is little more than a conversation of holier than thou. The way that I define unproductive AI ethics is essentially simply the exercise of shooting down AI ideas as being detrimental, conjuring up some potential risk potentially something that's very politically prickly and saying, oh, that might cause that, or that might cause that. There's certainly many risks with AI, but when ethics, quote unquote, steps in without being able to solve those problems, in other words, integrate values, integrate law, and also get the job done for the customers or the company, I consider it unproductive. And I consider it a sort of holier than thou game that I don't consider worth covering on the podcast. And so I don't. We had a good episode about AI ethics with the at the time, global head of AI at IBM, Seth Dobrin, about a year ago, and that was an awfully good episode talking about the productive side of AI ethics. Today, we double down on that theme with a guest who is not only author of a book called Trustworthy AI, but is also the executive director for the Global Deloitte AI Institute. Bina Amanath has also held leadership positions in AI and data at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Bank of America, General Electric, kind of a who's who of global enterprise firms, and now she's with Deloitte. She speaks with us this week about putting AI ethics in action in ways that are conducive to innovation, in ways that genuinely will serve to solve business goals and customer problems. And there's two really important points I think are worth noting down for those of you who are tuned in, who are leading AI projects, or maybe your consultants who are helping your clients lead AI projects. There is a process here for sort of being able to screen out potential downsides and thinking through those upfront, which I think can be a potential benefit of applying AI ethics properly. Bina has some excellent ideas there. And then secondly, she talks about who needs to be in the room to have a realistic AI ethics conversation. This is a team sport. As any of you who've been here for long enough are well aware, And Bina talks about the different kinds of expertise that have to come together to understand squarely the ethical and legal concerns of AI applications, but also how they can interact, how these folks need to level up their own knowledge and how they need to bounce that knowledge off of each other to genuinely screen applications and determine the best place to put our company resources for the sake of our customers and for the company itself. Some of these ideas, hopefully many of you will be able to turn around and apply in your own business, and that's certainly what we're shooting for this episode. So I'm grateful to Bina for being able to be with us, and without further ado, let's fly into this episode. This is Bina Amanoff of Deloitte, here in the AI and Business Podcast. So Bina... I know you have a lot of these conversations with leadership around AI ethics, and there's a lot to get into with the meat and potatoes today, but I think we should define the terms. We've certainly heard a lot of different definitions of what comes to mind for AI ethics. When you're explaining this to the C-suite, to the boardroom, how do you put it in a nutshell?
1: So there is a notion that AI ethics is all about transparency and removing bias and making it more fair. Those are catchy headlines, but in my experience, working across different industries, fairness, bias, transparency are all crucial, but there are other factors. If you have an algorithm predicting a manufacturing machine failure, for example, fairness doesn't really come into play. But security and safety are both key issues. So let me take a step back and tell you, you know, why I like to think about it as trust and ethics in AI. Because for me, trust includes the ethics, but it also includes policy and compliance, which is what leaders need to be aware of in the context of ethics. So trustworthy AI encompasses everything you can think of related to the potential negative consequences of AI. That's how I would, you know, think about ethics.
0: Yeah, kind of a, not putting it simply in the bounding box of transparency and bias as like buzzwords. Yeah, yeah, got it. And and in terms of where it fits in, I'm sure some folks that you talk to, I know for our listeners, this is often the case. When they hear about AI ethics, it's often sort of just, well, you know, you want to be careful. Your your algorithms could make for a really bad PR event. You know, sometimes it's physical danger, right? But as as you and I both know. Certainly, if you're running a manufacturing plant with heavy equipment or you're making self-driving cars or you're diagnosing cancer, we got mm-hmm. real real issues here. But for some people doing document search and discovery for like some random procurement documents, we're probably not, you know, driving, you know, going to have that much human danger. But I think a lot of people see it as kind of a warning and a set of kind of checkpoints to yeah. to kind of have to go through really in kind of a defense and a barrier sense. When you think about how leaders should think about ethics and integrate it into their thought process, we were talking off mic. Obviously, you've written an entire book on this theme. Where does ethics come into decision making from that C-suite perspective? How should they use it in a way that for you is productive for them and for the business?
1: Yeah, I, I like to you know give this example, having done so many projects and programs till now, right? Like when we are defining a problem to solve for, every you know, no matter which process you follow, there's always a checkpoint which is like, what is the ROI on this? Whether it is cost savings or whether it is new revenue opportunity, you know, the focus is on ROI. The stakeholders come together, leaders come together and say, what's what's the return that I can see in six months, one year, five years, right? And the simplest way is to take, you know, yes, define the ROI, spend, you know, spend days doing it, but take 10% of that time and think about, what are the ways this could go wrong, right? And I like to quote, the, you know, my favorite quote from Jurassic Park, just because your scientists could, they did. Without really thinking about it, yeah, and, yeah. And paraphrasing here, but the idea is, yes, we focus a lot about the value creation, but you know, take a moment to think about what are the negative implications of it, and that can be the ethical implications. It could be ed- other risks that could come into play, and we don't spend enough time thinking about it. We, it's very easy. And I'm an engineer by training, and I'll tell you, it's very easy to focus on that shiny new value. Totally great thing will create. But all that I'm saying is that shiny new thing can have negative impact as well.
0: Got it. And and of course, there's, you know, the, the negative PR side of things, you know, everybody's familiar, you know, Google is labeling people as a monkey or as a something, right? Like all kinds of, the verge starts to, you know, accuse everybody at the company of being secret racist or something. So you have those big PR gaps. You also have physical dangers. So there's many risks. Your rule of thumb here, I think, is kind of a cool one. And of course, again, you've you've had some great hands on experience doing this. I mean, leading data like you know, Bank of America and you worked at GE. And so you've seen these conversation's probably happen without asking these questions and, and with. So the rule of thumb was kind of spend 10% of that time thinking about some of the downsides. What are some if I'm in the C suite, I'm in the boardroom, I'm wondering, okay, what are the questions? Is it one question could be, "Hey guys, we've got X amount of minutes set aside to ask bullet points, what are the most likely potential downsides here? Is there a way to splinter that question open and think about maybe like the PR side or the the physical danger yeah. side? Do you do you like to splinter it so that we can get at some of those meaty bits that might actually help us avoid some traps?"
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And then you're hitting is one of the most important factors, right? Like thinking about the different dimensions. Safety is, you know, by itself, safety can be about physical harm, mental harm, psychological harm, legal harm. There is brand and risk, reputation risk. There are so many different things to consider. And you know, there's a lot of uh, literature out there it is covered in my book but there is also a lot of literature out there which you need to think about in the context of the application there are also things that might not be obvious i'll tell you a specific you know project that i've done in my past is you know we were looking at predicting say jet engine failure okay but as you look at it we you know you could tell how the pilot was actually flying the plane hmm. now that data could that be used to you know, impact the performance review of the pilot if he was not, if he or she was not following the training that was provided, right? So those are, you know, it just needs some additional thought, a a sense of mindfulness of the ways that the actions, the things, the thing that we're building, the ways that it could be misused so that then you can put in the guardrails, right?
0: Yeah. Well, that this is, man, and there's so much to this, Bina. There's so much. I mean, One thing that comes to mind, and I'd love your opinion on this. So we're talking about where executives can wield this 10% rule around considering risks and how to pick that apart and make it fruitful. Because one thing that I think we know from experience working with enterprises and AI is we just talk to the C-suite. We're often not asking all of the best questions. If we have the C-suite, we have the subject matter experts in that part of the business. Let's say it's fraud, customer service, whatever. And if we have some people with data science expertise, we'll come up with better project selection, ROI measurement metrics, expectations of success and failure, understanding of risks and all that. Like We'll have a better idea set if we have more than just the board who's like, they're very smart, they're great leaders, but they might not know the actual data sources that would be required and how those could be used. They might not know the actual subject matter workflows the way that the person on the ground does. When we think about this 10% rule, do we want to have other folks in the room to help conjure out these risks? And what advice would you give for leaders who don't want to sit in a vacuum of the C-suite where, I don't know, maybe they can't come up with everything? Who should be there?
1: It's the, you know, the stakeholders should include right from board members and leadership to your CIO or the tech leader, the legal and compliance team. It has to include your design team. It has to include the stakeholders, everybody who has a perspective that, can, that impacts that negative value that will be created by this product, right? And what I mean by that, let me you know, make it a little bit more real, right? We hear about explainability a lot. And a lot of times it's almost used in same, context as explainability and transparency. But here's the thing, explainability of an algorithm means different things for different stakeholders. To your point, you know, how you explain AI to data scientists and data engineers is going to be very different than how you explain the the same exact AI solution to your board members of the C-suite versus the software engineers within your IT team, right? So I think it has to be explainable from at different levels depending on that the audience the stakeholder that's there but getting those stakeholders in place to be able to actually know how this ai can impact their different functions and bringing that lens the key absolute key factor is to have that diversity of thought in your stakeholders yeah the seat
0: got it so okay so we've got our 10% we've got different folks the data scientists might say hey guys in order to do this, we would actually need some level of this personal info. There's either got to be a way to anonymize it, or right? They'll bring up something that other folks yeah. might not have thought about in the room. So we've got the diversity of thought, data scientists, subject matter experts, and, and we've got the, the board and kind of the decision maker folks. We've got this 10% carved out. Is there any, you know, the, the starting question of what could be the risk? What could be the downside? What would we want to avoid? Are there, are there other ways that you like to get the juices flowing in terms of the framing of that question? Because I, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah, i just wondering if there's other ways to prompt good ideas, because I'd love for our listeners to be able to put some of this stuff in action. Let me know if there's any other fun ways that they could get more out of it.
1: Yes. You know, there is almost a list that you can use. And, you know, right from starting with bias, which is what all the headlines are yeah, about. Of course saying, these days, are yeah. we yeah. using human data? And then if we are using human data, then we need, you know, the first question is what kind of biases can creep into this solution and how do we mitigate for those? The next is, you know, are we leaving people behind? Are the algorithms that we're putting out, is there a likelihood that they are unfair and can drive more inequity? Is that going to be a problem? Then looking at more from a privacy perspective, what data sets are we planning to use? Do we have consent? Do we have consent to use it for this specific solution? Then looking at it from a security perspective, right? Is this, uh, by doing the solution, is it going to open any gaps and open it out for cybersecurity hacks? That, is it going to expose any of those cybersecurity gaps? Robustness, is this solution going to behave consistently in the same way? As you know, most of AI today is machine learning, which continues to learn and evolve and change. So is it going to perform in a reliable manner or can bad actors come in and train it so that it goes rogue, right? So then looking at it from a responsible perspective, meaning is this the right thing to do for humanity by building this, AI solution? Is this something that is going to cause terrible harm to humanity as a whole, to society as a whole? Is this something that should be done? And then, you know, something that comes to mind is also, you know, that I would recommend is to be upfront and have a discussion on accountability, right? Because people and organizations are responsible, accountable for their actions, but, you know, when a, an AI is making a decision on your behalf, who is, at the end of the day, accountable if it goes wrong? Is it the data scientist who built it? Is it the manager who approved that project? Is it the CEO? Is it the board member? Because that conversation actually, you know, drives more involvement from your stakeholders because, yeah, they, they and they want to be involved and be part of that decision because what we're seeing is happening is CEOs have to face – the Senate or regulators if if things go wrong. So defining upfront who will be accountable if things do go wrong, right? So these are some of the ideas to, you know, have a very productive discussion and in an organizational business setting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So These are good sets of jump off points. You know, you're mentioning accountability, you're mentioning kind of reliability. And if the system is learning and updating itself, how are we going to steer things and keep them on track from a performance perspective, but maybe also a bias and ethics perspective as well. I mean, both are totally relevant. One thing that comes to mind for me, and there might not be a good answer here, in which case that's okay, but I figure I'll run it by you. One of the things that that we tend to see is it's all right. I mean, there's a services ecosystem in this space, and you guys are part of it, which is perfectly fine. But there are folks who want to run every innocuous nominal random AI use case through like a wild checklist of risks that are wholly unrealistic for that use case. We might just be doing some surface level thing around routing vendor SOW and invoice tickets to like the right person or finding old legal documents that might pose some (laughs) risk or something. And, And it's like, oh, well, you know, if it breaks, oh my God, who, who will be the emergency person? It's like, yes. well, actually the consequences are so low for some of these things that actually going into emergency mode and you know, thinking you have to pay a thousand consultants every time or like there's yes. some cases where it doesn't quite warrant as much drill down. Any advice there for rules of yes. thumb as to when to take this stuff seriously?
1: Yes, I am a huge believer that every employee within your organization should be AI fluent or AI savvy. The reason is it's not just the data scientist or your IT team that is, you know, that is using AI or developing AI, right? Your finance team is probably approving AI vendors for the process that you just described. Your HR yeah. team might be using AI for recruitment, you know. So, right from the board member to the fresh grad, you know, intern that you have within your organization, needs to understand what is your company's policy around AI ethics and what should they do at, when they are evaluating vendors or when they're using tools. What's the process there? So, I think. The basic factor is AI fluency, is some AI savviness that everybody understands and also understands the principles for the company that apply from an AI ethics lens. So training, making sure every employee is empowered. That is the absolute crucial factor.
0: Totally. I mean, look, I I we we beat that war drum every day. In fact, that's the only thing that we do. We don't there's other places where people go to learn how to write better Python code. This is where we educate non-technical folks on use cases, risks, trends to develop enough fluency to be able to steer things to success and avoid those real pitfalls. So I couldn't agree with you more. I guess we'll end on this point because I know we're, you know, we're coming towards the end, but you're you're opening up a pretty good Pandora's box here around fluency. We have a a framework, which is one of our more popular pieces in the last 18 months called executive AI Fluency, which those of you who are listening in can can Google and kind of a way that we think about it. But as you'd mentioned, it is more than exact. You know, we've got our subject matter experts and other folks, they're going to be interacting with these systems in all kinds of ways. We've only got a few, but when you think about companies that you guys have worked with who are doing fluency well, in other words, you know, they're legacy companies, but they're starting to really level up that education. What are some yeah. of the things that they're doing that are helping that journey accelerate? Because as you and I know, some people are ignoring this entirely to their own detriment. What are the winners doing?
1: The winners are really focusing on the fluency and providing more role-based fluency, right? That accountant in your finance department is more, more than likely not going to build any AI tool, but he or she is more likely to you know, approve an AI vendor to be used in the you know, accounting team. The ones that are doing it well are providing more role-based AI fluency training, which I think is super helpful, and it helps them connect. It's role-based, but also the examples used to explain some of the AI terminology, which can be heavy, is used from their daily lives, their jobs. Use finance example if you're training your accounting team. Use you know HR examples when you're training your HR team. So role-based and domain-specific.
0: Cool. And are the right companies doing this with some kind of a curriculum from what you've seen? In other words, they're getting maybe subject matter experts and data scientists to come together and say, hey, for this customer service team, what are the fluency requirements? And then building something role-specific and then doing the same for another department, another department. Who's building these curricula to make sure that the right people are getting the right education?
1: Yes, that that's a great question. And it's really a base training. It's like teaching the alphabet. Yeah, uh, yeah. And. So, you know, many of them start with that foundational training, which is just, you know, what what does deep learning really mean? What are the things it can do, right? So this is more foundational level training that, you know, that's being done and not so much different.
0: Yeah, yeah. In in terms of like, getting everybody up to speed on writing Python, it's probably not something all of your accountants are going to want to do. But I like the basic thing. I'm going to put this in a nutshell, Bina, make sure this makes sense as we wrap up. It sounds like Focusing on fluency kind of up and down the company is going to make sense, especially if we're deploying AI projects. Let's make sure that we get subject matter experts and data scientists to come together and come up with really an ABCs of fluency, the, the, a really strong foundational base, doesn't have to be complicated, that is going to make this department smart in the ways that they need to be smart, not in the ways that every other department needs to be smart, but you're really emphasizing this context-specific training. Yes. Cool. Okay. Awesome. So good nutshell ideas. I would certainly say if there's anything that can forward AI ethics, it's having everybody understand what the heck these technologies are in the first place, where they'll be able to think about the risks and the opportunities themselves in a smarter way and ultimately making everybody smarter is what we're trying to do here. And Bina, you've helped us do just that. So thank you so much for being able to join us on the show. This has been a blast.
1: Thank you, Dan.
0: So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to Bina for being able to join us, and thank you to you for listening all the way through to the end of this episode. Many times if somebody comes to us as an author, they've written a book, the likelihood of them getting onto the podcast is is pretty close to zero. In fact, that's probably the lowest likelihood pitch you can give to Emerge to to get on the show is say that you've written a book. Bina, fortunately, has robust experience. I think her role before... Deloitte was the CTO of AI at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And before then, as I mentioned before, Bank of America, General Electric, very high level roles, leading analytics and data. So she is speaking from robust experience. And for that reason, I respect her takes. And I hope that some of you who are tuned in got something practical out of this episode. Much of Bina's advice is focused on being able to screen and start different AI projects and being able to apply AI ethics at that critical juncture. If you are starting with AI or you're helping your clients start with AI, be sure to download our Beginning with AI guide. This is a short PDF brief that highlights three critical insights for non-technical leaders. So if you're not the one writing the code, but you are helping to steer the AI strategy and hopefully find an ROI, this report should be useful for you. Again, beginning with AI is the name of the report. You can find it at emerj.com BEG1. That's BEG like begin and then just the number one, emerj.com BEG1. You can download that free PDF brief on emerge.com again slash BG1. So that is a wrap for us today. Thank you so much for being here. I look forward to catching you in the next episode here on the AI and Business Podcast.